A word of warning. This podcast explores graphic and disturbing stories and includes some strong language. It therefore may not be suitable for our young listeners or other folks who may find it disturbing. Hello and welcome to True Crime Daily, the podcast covering high profile and under the radar cases from across the country every week. I'm your host, Anna Garcia. We are recording this on July 7th, 2021. Our guest today is Josh Ritter, who's a former L.A. prosecutor and now works as a criminal defense attorney here in L.A. Josh, welcome back. We're so thrilled you're here. Hi, Anna. Thank you so much for having me. So we we're just chatting before we started recording. You say that pretty much everything's back to normal in the courts. You're back. You're back inside. The courts are are back to being open. I wouldn't say it's back to normal. Uh, at least here in L.A. County, they are having jury trials, but everyone's still wearing masks. Okay. All right. So then, how much of a backlog do you think we have? Uh, like at least a year or more? It's huge. It's huge. It's going to be a tidal wave. It's something that. I've been speaking with some judges and everyone's dreading it because a lot of the public defenders haven't been waiving time. So there's a lot of people who their, you know, quote unquote, last day of trial is going to hit as soon as they open things up. Wow. It's going to be interesting to see what happens. Does that mean some people who are charged, but maybe um, because they're not waiving trial could actually walk? I don't know if it's going to go that far. I think you're going to see the DA's office scrambling to kind of give people offers so that they accept it because there's there's just going to be too many trials for them to handle. Wow. And we yeah. have a DA here in L.A. who has been widely criticized for not wanting to prosecute people. Yeah. So <laughs> should so the, be very interesting. It's going to be very interesting. The deals are going to get even better than they were before. Wow. Oh, oh, I don't like hearing that. Okay. (laughs) Well, let's see if, you know, eventually there might be some justice in these two cases that we're going to talk about. They are horrific. Uh, One has me very upset, as you can imagine, because the victim in this case is an autistic boy. And whenever a vulnerable special needs person is murdered, it is even more egregious. You cannot be more defenseless. All right, so let's look at the cases. We have a former Houston police sergeant who has been sentenced to 40 years for murdering his wife. But first, the mother, a mother here in California, has admitted to strangling to death her autistic son whose body was found in the Nevada desert. 35-year-old Samantha Moreno-Rodriguez was arraigned in Las Vegas a week ago on June 30th and charged with the murder of her seven-year-old son. She appeared via video conference because that is still going on in a lot of courts right now, especially from the jails. KLAS-TV reports that the judge denied her bond. So here's what happened. As far as we know it and has been told to us by prosecutors, investigators, and news reports. On May 28th, the body of an unidentified boy was found in Mountain Springs, Nevada. That's about 30 miles west of Las Vegas. His body remained unidentified for a week. They had no idea who this child was, so authorities, rather than just calling him John Doe, which is obviously, it's all very cold, They named him Little Zion, and they took to the media and they asked people, are you missing a child of about this age? 
and they and all of a sudden all these tips started coming in from around the country hundreds of tips now josh as you know a lot of times these tips are not very helpful but sometimes they are and in this case the combination of tips and police work did help because there was a missing person's report out of san jose california involving a seven-year-old boy yeah i i just you know I'm so upset about this case for a lot of reasons, obviously, any any kind of crime against a child. But this little boy was strangled to death. Yeah. And he was left naked. Yeah. Naked. It's beyond tragedy and nightmare uh, to hear something like this. Um, uh, The reports say that according, I guess, somehow in their investigation, they determined that uh, the strangling had taken place for a period of about 15 minutes. And if you just think about that for a moment, how long a period of time 15 minutes is, we haven't even been recording this episode for 15 minutes. And all during that time, she had her hands around this helpless, special needs little boy and the struggle he must have been putting up the fear and confusion that he must have had realizing this is his own mother. I mean, it just, it's hard not to get emotional about this, to think about the nightmare that were the last moments of that young boy's life. And then the callous, heartless way in which she strips him naked and leaves him in a deserted forest area. um, And doesn't, doesn't make any attempts to even bury his body. I mean, that's what I gathered from the fact that hikers were able to find him. So just discarded him like trash. And it just, it, you, you pointed it out. These types of stories are hard to not feel emotional about, but this one in particular is just disturbing on so many levels. It really is. Um, you know, obviously she is innocent until proven guilty no matter what admissions she may have allegedly made. But without question, the boy has been identified as her son. Without question, he was murdered. And she apparently is the last person to have seen him alive. Uh, So police were able to connect the missing boy. Remember, we had like a week here. They were able to to connect him to this missing persons case out of San Jose. And so the, the, the little boy, his name is Liam. Liam's father, Nicholas Husted, had reported him missing. According to the Las Vegas Sun on June 1st, Liam's father contacted the police. He said that he arrived home on May 24th and that he found his son and the son's mother, who is his partner, Samantha, missing and their belongings gone. Not a good indication, obviously. Now, Samantha, the mother, and the father were not married, but they were raising their son together. So according to the Las Vegas son, Samantha allegedly left the father a voicemail saying, I'm sorry I had to do it like this. And then she claimed that she was taking Liam to find a new home. And so I think at first the dad, when he reported his missing son to the police, 
He reported him missing, but he said in reports both to police and to the public that he didn't necessarily fear for Liam's life. He just thought she maybe had taken him and maybe something else was going on. He expressed that there had been problems in the relationship over the last two years. And he also said that from his perspective, he never saw the mother being abusive toward the child. So again, the sense of urgency from the father's perspective was not matching a sense of some imminent harm is coming to his son, according to police. And apparently the dad was crossed off the suspect list early on that, 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 you know, they just were not looking at him. Yeah. It's, 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 you know, we don't know the nature of their relationship and it, and it, I don't want to be one to kind of criticize someone's actions after the fact, when it, it appears by all evidence, he wasn't involved, but there is this delay of from when the, the, the children, the child and mother go missing on May 24th to when he actually reports it on June 1st. And like you said, maybe he thought they were moving. Maybe he thought he would hear back from him. It's, I mean, that's a period of 10 days that, I imagine his concern was growing and growing, but it is a part of the story that I hope that we learn more about why it took so long for him to actually go into police to report this. So, Josh, apparently the Mercury News is reporting that both police in San Jose and police in Las Vegas checked records to see if there had been any reports of alleged abuse or any allegations Uh, including any visits from child welfare services. And apparently police were not able to find that in the history here, which again, that may support what the father was saying, that he didn't believe that the mother had ever been abusive toward the child. So my question would be, and I ask this a lot, how does someone go from zero to 60? If, If you don't have this predisposition to let's say any violence or abuse toward a child, are we to believe that it's possible that she just snapped? Because I'm, I, it's the location, it's what happened to the child's body that leads me to think, I don't know if I buy that. Yeah, yeah, no, it, it just doesn't make sense. Like you said, um, you know. Apparently, according to some of the reports, she she is she had a growing frustration with caring for the child. But you're right. Why wouldn't that manifest itself in other acts of kind of abuse that might have been noticed by friends or family members before that? You, you, you know, you think a mother gets frustrated with her child. Perhaps there's you know some sort of slapping that takes place or incidents where witnessed in public or having an outburst or something like that. But for no accounts, at least nothing that we're hearing from friends or family now, and certainly nothing reported to the police to, like you said, go from zero to 60 to commit this just brutal, heartless murder. I, I can't stress enough again, the, 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 the personalness of this type of a murder of strangling someone to death is so different than, you know, even a shooting or a poisoning or something else where you're a little detached, but she is so intimately involved in the, in the murder of this child. And again, I know we're dealing with allegations, but I'm going off of what is being reported as part of her confession to police. I also read in some of the news accounts that 
the child was having some behavioral challenges and that the family was getting support and some counselors, even some in-house help. But when the pandemic hit, those resources were pulled. And as you can imagine, that would make a very challenging situation that much more difficult if you need additional resources. But again, nothing could ever, ever get to, to this point. I mean, this is just not the solution for anyone who needs help, but that may give a little context to what was going on. And also the fact that the relationship was not going well. So on June 7th, the FBI in Las Vegas finally announces that the boy has been positively identified as seven-year-old Liam Husted of San Jose. Authorities had identified his mother, Samantha, um, right away. And what was interesting is that when the police put pictures up of the little boy that he had finally been identified, a friend of the family, a friend of the mother's, recognized the little boy and called authorities, which additionally helped, just so you can understand that things are coming in from different places. It's not just the father assisting and other family members. It's people who are seeing this in real time because you know, it is an unusual thing to find a child murdered left near a wooded area. It's That is just not a normal thing, especially when it appears so deliberate in the strangulation and the removal of his clothes. So the mother was arrested the day after that Liam's body was identified publicly. Now, police are saying that she has admitted to the crime. So what was going on here? We're getting some, a little bit of background, whether this fits into a narrative is unclear to me, but according to the Mercury News, the mother allegedly told a friend that she and Liam and Liam's dad were all headed to Las Vegas to celebrate her, the mother's birthday. Okay. So those were some exchanges about where she may have been headed. Las Vegas police say that Based on following the mother's license plate, they were able to track some of her uh, movements. They picked her up in Long Beach. They picked her up in Victorville. Both of these are in Southern California. They're anywhere between a six and an eight hour drive from home base, which would be San Jose. The next place that she is spotted is in Las Vegas. And according to the hotel... The little boy was alive when they checked in, which is important because you're trying to figure out when was he murdered. We're still waiting the results of the autopsy. Now, two days after she checks into the hotel in Las Vegas with Liam, according to authorities, that's when his body is found. Yeah. So something was going on there. For a few days, there's there's movement. Yeah. Something's going on. Yeah, and and... Victorville and Long Beach and Las Vegas, they're not close to each other. I mean, you're not like passing, you're not passing Long Beach on your way from Victorville to Las Vegas or vice versa. So it's, it's, it's so confusing as to what her plan was and what she was doing. Um, I think the other thing to kind of take note of is if she's telling family members that they're going to Vegas for a trip, but she's lying about the father also coming along on the trip. You begin to wonder how planned in advance was this? I, it, you know, you, 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 
at first blush, it might seem as though this was some sort of heat of the moment, lost her brain. Like you said, she cracked and got frustrated. But now it sounds like maybe more thinking was involved and planning. It's just so confusing what all that traveling was about. Yeah, it really is. The deputy district attorney on this case, John Giordani, said that the mother admitted killing Liam because, quote, this is his quote, she essentially said that she became frustrated with the child and strangled him and that she allegedly strangled him for 15 minutes. I, what a what a flat and empty excuse even that is. I was frustrated. Right. Frustrated? That's the word you use? I mean, I, I get I get frustrated when I have to bring in all the groceries in one one carry and I can't open the door right. I mean, that's the type of things we use the word frustrated for, but not frustrated fr- from with my child to the point of murder. It, the whole thing is so disturbing. It's disgusting. Yeah. It's just it's just disgusting. So, you know, prosecutors confirmed that after he was strangled, she removed his clothes and left him naked in the desert. Now, um, before her arrest, so this would have now been the time from Las Vegas until her arrest, because there's the finding of the boy's body, and then there's still the mom on the move. Right. So according to authorities, she was last seen in Denver, Colorado, driving the SUV with her California plates. She checked into a hotel alone in this case, and police tracked not only her movements through the license plate, but also confirmed her location with the surveillance from the hotel that she was staying at. So Las Vegas police said that they found Samantha at the hotel with an unidentified male companion, but the person was not considered to be involved in Liam's murder. Okay. What the heck is that about? Who's this guy? I don't know. It's also funny, too, if we are believing there was some planning behind this, that it doesn't appear as though she was trying to, you know, quote, unquote, escape. It's not like she's found at the border somewhere. She's back in Vegas where she was just a few days earlier. I don't know. The whole thing gets murkier and murkier. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, Liam's grandparents confirmed that he was indeed a special needs child. And they said, quote, you know, he was at a disadvantage and he was dependent on the kindness of others. Breaks your heart. It really does. This whole story really breaks your heart. Yeah. Very disturbing. So the coroner has not released the official ruling as far as the exact cause of death, the exact time. We are still waiting on that and whether there were any other injuries on Liam's body, because that will tell us a little bit more about the last few hours and days of his life. The mother is charged with one count of murder, and she is scheduled to be back in court on August 3rd. Yeah, that one's a really hard one. Yeah, Uh, I'll be interested to see what more we learn about it. Mm -hmm. Okay, Josh, our next case comes out of Texas, where a former Houston police sergeant has been sentenced to 40 years in prison for killing his wife, apparently because of jealousy. On March 23rd of 2019, 52-year-old Belinda Hernandez, a librarian at the local elementary school, was found dead in the kitchen 
of her family home. She was found by her daughter. So hours later, Belinda's husband, 56-year-old Hilario Hernandez, who was a Houston sergeant with more than 30 years on the force, he was active duty at the time, was arrested at a motel near Kingsville, Texas, which is not far from Corpus Christi, to give you an idea. Before he was arrested, he was apparently texting his fellow officers, threatening to kill himself. So at this point, you you know, there's a lot going on. You have the, the wife of a cop who's been murdered. You've got the husband who is a cop on the run, threatening to kill himself. What's he doing so far away from where his poor wife has been murdered? Right. She's a librarian at the local school, so she is truly someone who all the kids know and the parents know since all the kids file through the library. You know, it's a little bit different with the librarian. It's not just like one class. It's like the whole school gets to know you. So all of this stuff is going on. And 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 it's like, who would do this to a woman so loved? So let's go back in time, figure out what was going on, what could have led up to this. Now, according to a 2019 Houston Chronicle report, the night before Belinda was found dead, Belinda and her husband, Hilario, were having dinner at home. They had invited over their daughter, Christina, their adult daughter, her husband, Alex, and a family friend, all having dinner. This is the night before the murder. So according to the daughter and son-in-law, the dad or the husband, the cop, Hilario, became upset over some, quote, perceived flirting between his wife and the family friend. So when the daughter finally got home from dinner that night, it was like 1130, and she did what she always did was to text her mom to say, I got home safely, something a lot of people do. I'm constantly doing that whenever I go out. I just always think it's very wise as a crime reporter. Let someone know you got home safely. It's important, right? Right. Um, Okay, so she gets home and she texts her mom, but her mom doesn't respond. So she thinks, well, that's kind of weird. And, you you know, daughters always know what's going to trigger their mom. It's like, oh, my gosh, like my mom always waits for this text. So if she's not responding, what the heck's going on? She's supposed to be worried about me. Exactly. Right? So... She doesn't get a response. She's getting really concerned. So she calls her mother's phone. And at first there's no response. And then her father answers the mother's phone and says, mom's fine. Everything's fine. And hangs up. Okay. A little weird, but not, it's not called 911 kind of stuff, right? Right. Everything always makes so much sense you know, in hindsight, when you start piecing it together. Okay. So then the daughter calls mom again in the morning. And this time still mom's not answering. And obviously dad's not picking up the phone. So she's thinking there's just something wrong here. So she says to her husband, do you mind? I want to stop by the house. I want to check in on mom. It's just, I have this feeling. They go to the house the the daughter goes in, the husband's outside, the son-in-law, and Christina comes out running, screaming, telling her husband. Now, this is what's interesting. She says, my father shot 
my mother call 911. I, I noticed that too. She immediately put it together. And I was trying to think about why that was. And either the daughter has been perceptive to perhaps some underlying resentment in that relationship, or it could have been as simple as I think reports said that a gun was found on the kitchen counter. Maybe she recognized that as dad's gun and dad's nowhere around. Dad won't answer the phone either. And she just is smart enough to put it all together that quickly. But that was really interesting that she, she in her heart immediately knew what had taken place. Yeah, it really is. Because I think ordinarily one would come out screaming, my mother is dead. My mother is dead. Someone killed my mother. Right. called the police, you'd be afraid that the person's still in the house. It, it is it is very, very telling as to why she felt that. Now, to give you some, some background here, a neighbor who lives across the street told the Pearl Land police that he had heard multiple gunshots while walking the dog outside their home around midnight. Okay, now, if I'm walking the yeah. dog at midnight and I hear gunshots... I get it. It's Texas. <laughs> yeah. But do you not call authorities? I, I, I'm glad you brought that up because that was one of the things that just struck me as so bizarre and also irritated me. First of all, you're right. It's Texas, but it's the middle of the night and you hear multiple gunshots, a phone call to police saying, hey, I just heard this. And that's not to mention, I mean, I don't know how rural an area they lived in, but if one neighbor's hearing it, I got to imagine other neighbors have perhaps heard it. And then I think the report was that he saw Hilario leaving the house in a pickup truck shortly thereafter, the same neighbor. I hope I'm getting that right. <laughs> I understand you don't want to get into your neighbor's business, but I mean, it, it's time to fit, pick up the phone because something something awful may have happened. Yeah, it. that's just a pretty, I think... It's not ordinary to hear gunshots in a residential neighborhood is what I'm trying to say. Unless, you know, depending on where it is that you live, if you're near a range or something like that or the time of day, I I just, that, look, it it probably wouldn't have changed the outcome. However, I would say, what if, what if she were still alive? Yes. We don't know that, do we? No. We don't know if she, we don't know how long she, she, when police found her, she was dead, but who knows how long she laid there struggling. Who, who right. knows? And a, and a phone call may have changed all of that. And it may not have. I don't know. But it is bizarre. Uh, I thought that that immediately kind of popped out to me as kind of bizarre behavior. Yeah, I think so. I really do. So police investigators say that they found the black handgun on an island in the kitchen on a counter. And there were numerous spent shell casings around the kitchen and near the back door of the family home. Okay, so that presumably would have made it even louder if you're like near a door and the door is open. Absolutely. I don't know that the door is open, but you know what I'm saying. They found her face down in the kitchen, on the kitchen floor, and she was declared dead at the scene. Well, yes, it's the next day. Yes, of course she's dead by this point. Now, Belinda and Hilario had been married for more than three decades, and they had two grown children. Now, this case has made its way through the courts. So as we said, you know, he finally entered this plea deal. So um, what is interesting is, as I mentioned, 
Belinda was a librarian and the local newspaper had done a profile on her uh, a few years earlier. And the profile was really interesting. And it was about how she was describing how happily married she is, that she loves her children. And she told the Chronicle in 2014, this is, she was featured about fulfilling her dream to become a teacher. She had, oh, she, she said, quote, I always had one regret one regret. I wish that I had gone to college and become a teacher. And then she did. She ended up going back to school and in 2011 made that a reality. So as I had said, she was so popular when all this happened and they found out that she was murdered, extra counselors were sent to Shady Crest Elementary School to help the kids cope, you know, cope with this. And, and I have to imagine it's additionally more confusing for children when you're finding out that your librarian has been murdered and she has been murdered by a police officer. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it sounds like she was a genuinely really highly regarded like person in her community too. this, this whole thing um, on paper. It's, it's again, one of those things where you don't understand it. They've been married for 30 years. That's a long time. He's been a cop for, I think the same amount of time she's been a, a librarian for 20 years. These are stable folks. These are people bouncing around from job to job. These are people who are living, uh, you know, high risk lifestyles that you would expect this kind of violent outburst, perhaps. These are, you know, a cop and a librarian who both been in their jobs for a couple of decades have been married for three decades. On paper, that sounds like really stable folks. And for that all to change in an instant over him getting upset over perceived flirting it blows my mind like again maybe there was more to this maybe there was a history of some sort of problems or domestic violence in that household but we don't see any of that in front of us and so it's just we're left with this inexplicable inexplicable situation Mm -hmm. it really is so hilario has been sentenced to 40 years in prison as part of his plea deal and as I said, not only is it confusing for children trying to process their librarian murdered by a police officer, the couple has two adult children. No matter what your age, whether you are a child or whether you are an adult child of a murder victim, that loss is unbearable and it is a massive tragedy. And in this case, I found this quote very interesting. The, the daughter made a comment to the news cameras after sentencing and said that this has been a devastating, devastating situation for my brother and myself. Essentially that day we lost both our parents. And then she went on to say, it is now about their mother's legacy, not about him. So, I mean, that's true. I mean, it's, we think about it more when there are young children involved in a parent, one parent kills the other parent. We're always like, oh my gosh, like how is this child ever going to be raised because one is incarcerated and the other parent is dead. But in the case of adult children who don't necessarily have to be raised or taken care of the way a minor, I mean, that that's really something you have. You have to live with the fact that your father killed your mother. Yeah, it's a, it's an earth shattering um, consequence to that family. I mean, and and, and the it, it, which will last for who knows 
how many generations too? I mean, these grown children, I imagine they might have children and how do they explain what happened to grandma and grandpa? I mean, it's just, it's just devastating. You know, another interesting thing about this case, and I, I don't know more about it and I'm curious is that it's, it's fairly uncommon for folks to plead to murder um, yes. and get 40 years. Um, usually if a person is pleading to murder, it's because something far more dire is on the table. For instance, maybe it's life without parole and they want to avoid that. And I realize 40 years may be essentially a life sentence for this man anyways, but perhaps the idea that there's a chance he gets out is something that he was willing to take a plea deal for. But um, usually these types of cases, when your offer from the, from the district attorney is 40 years, you figure, what do I got to lose and might as well go to trial. And that got me thinking too, it, a murder charge is very different than what this case, I think, could easily be argued to be is some sort of manslaughter, heat of passion. Who knows what kind of argument may have taken place after that family dinner was over and he just lost his brain. So it was just it stuck out to me to one, see a person plead to murder and then see them plead to murder for as many as 40 years. So I'm curious to know kind of the back, you know, behind do closed doors uh, discussions that were being had about all that. I would think that the children of both the murder victim, right, of, and yeah. and the the children of the accused, my guess is that they had uh, a lot to say yeah. about what was going on with dad and what may have come out yeah. in this yeah. trial and how difficult that may have been. I don't know. I'm simply speculating here. But I could actually see the, you know, the two adult children saying to the father, you've done enough now. Yeah, yeah. That's it. Don't put us don't, all through this now, too. Yeah. Don't do this to us. Don't, yeah. bring, don't hurt mom's legacy. Because remember, that's what the daughter said, that it was all about mom. Don't hurt mom's name anymore. Don't bring out any of this, you know, of our family dirty laundry, don't do this to us, you've done enough. Yeah. And I think it's possible, look, and he's a cop, yeah. right? And he's a cop, so, you know, it's true, yeah. he could have gone for that, but maybe he's looking at it, he's in his 50s, so either way, however it goes, even let's say, if, yeah. let's say he had been convicted on manslaughter, yeah. chances are he wouldn't have gotten away with it, he would have been convicted, and why, at, why at this put everyone through that? Yeah. You know, 20 or 40, chances yeah. are you're not getting yeah. out, buddy. And he was obviously in a very despondent state of mind afterwards. I mean, if he's calling friends and saying he's going to kill himself and everything else, it, you know, it doesn't sound like he was, he felt any quarter, any sort of rationalization for what he just did. And perhaps it was just, he he's, he's, he, he's ready to just do his time. He, he realizes what he's done and he's ready to do his time. Yeah, I don't. We don't see that an awful lot because yeah. people are so inherently selfish. Yeah. But if the last thing that he does is to spare his two children more agony and the rest of his family and saves the you know the wife's memory from from digging up all sorts of stuff about. There may, who knows what would have come up, sure. what would have come out, right? Really good points. Really good points, yeah. That's all I can think of, that perhaps uh, a little shred of humanity managed to shine at that moment 
where he no. said, okay, I'm not going to do this to you kids. I've already, you know, I've killed your mother right. and you've lost your dad. Yeah, I'd like to think so. I'd like to think that maybe you're right. The tiniest shred of humanity, right? Yeah. Well, it is time for our comments section. These are the crime cases you all are talking about. And here to tell us what you are talking about is our very own Owen Michael. Hey, Owen. Hi, Anna. Hi, Joshua. Good to see you guys. We do get comments across our social media on uh, all of our platforms, and we read everything that we can, which is usually all of it. So stop in (laughs) and weigh in on some of these cases. This week, we've got uh, a couple of food-related items. An (laughs) Iowa man was arrested after allegedly calling in a bomb threat to a McDonald's restaurant because there was no McNugget sauce included in his order. He was charged with false report of an explosive, which is classified as a hate crime in this case. Mel C says, uh, no sauce in my bag is a massive crime in my eyes, but not enough to call in a bomb threat. Cameron B says, uh, and I thought I was bad for trying to fight the Taco Bell manager for no nacho cheese. And Jam K says, I mean, have you ever had their nuggets without sauce? <laughs> um, opinions on fast food and fast food related items this week. You know, we see that so much, don't we? I mean, honestly, it uh, it seems that people do go berserk when they're trying to get their order and they don't, it doesn't come through. And I always think it's like, it's, that was the straw that broke the camel's back. You know, what was going on in this person's life that he decides to go berserk because of a sauce situation? Yeah. I, I just can't imagine what he would have done if the ice cream machine was broken. Because that thing always busted up. It's always broken, isn't it? I, I suppose everybody's sort of inured to that. But, uh, yeah. uh, you know, I just, I can't imagine being so angry that I'm going to call up the restaurant. I mean, you know, we've all had uh, stuff left off our orders, calling into the restaurant and then, you know, getting into a beef with the manager or whatever, and then making, uh, allegedly making these threats. Uh, you know, it sounds like there's a lot going on uh, outside of your McDonald's order in this particular yeah. case. Exactly. Uh, for our next one, we've got a, a New Hampshire man pleaded guilty to tampering with a consumer product after he put razor blades in pizza dough sold at supermarkets uh, across Maine and New Hampshire. He faces up to 10 years in prison for this. He reportedly worked for a company that makes dough for competing pizza companies. Johnny C said, I had pizza last night. Good thing I ordered it rather than buy it fo- uh, frozen. Uh, okay. Alex S says, uh, charge him on each count for attempted murder, or since each pizza could feed up to eight people, charge him on eight counts per pizza. Some creative sentencing going on there from Alex. And uh, Chris G says, uh, psycho, make him eat an entire pizza with pineapple on it. Rough. Rough. Strong opinions on pineapple. <laughs> I don't, that to me is, that to me is very different from the case you just told us about, Owen, mm. because the the first case over the sauce and the nuggets, clearly the guy went berserk, okay? I mean, it's not a normal way to react, but right. more of a like a berserk thing. Heat of passion. To, to heat of passion, right, to this was it, I'm snapping, I've lost my mind. This is a calculated, more deliberate kind of a crime. It's... it's huh. be- it's not only stupid, it is so dangerous. Yeah. Who eats pizza? Kids. Yes. Right. Right. And can you imagine, imagine the that panic? kind of tragedy? Yeah. 
Oh. Can you imagine the panic that if this got out that there were razor blades and pizza dough, you know, that could gum up the works and have people paranoid for for weeks uh, across the northeast and uh, the northeastern uh, sector there? So yeah, it's a it's a serious deal, and uh, it kind of brings to mind uh, some of the other tampering issues that we've had in the past and so supermarkets and that kind of thing. And it's just sort of uh, you know, it indicates something else going on there as well. I would imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's really, really frightening to me. I don't, yeah. Well, they're both, they're both frightening, but that one is just like, ooh. Yeah. Stay safe on your eating habits there, folks. Yes. Absolutely. And it's okay if you don't have the sauce, okay? It's going to be all right. That's right. It's going to be all right. <laughs> Thanks, Owen. Bye, guys. Bye. See you next week. Well, that is our episode for this week. My goodness. Josh, thank you so much for joining us giving us some insight into these horrible cases. All right, if someone needs a defense attorney because they um, have been doing stupid things like blowing up because they don't get their McDonald's sauce or <laughs> other stupid things, <laughs> where can people find you or yeah, follow you? Please look me up. Uh, our law firm is in Los Angeles. It's worksmanjackson.com. And you can find me on Instagram at Joshua E. Ritter. And I'm Anna G News, uh, Anna with one N. I do want to remind everyone about a programming note. We just recorded a new episode of My Favorite Case, and this one is about that murdering vixen, Jody Arias. And Dr. Judy Ho joined us on that case. She chose that case. Josh, I know you've done one of those episodes with us on a crazy case between a woman who was feeding stray cats and a firefighter who was convicted of attacking her because he got mad that she was feeding the cats. So I just want to let everyone know that we we do have um, my favorite case out there. And some of them are very cool and interesting. It's kind of like a behind the scenes, what was really going on. So please look for those. And as always, you can find our content on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts. Of course, you can watch on YouTube. You can subscribe to our channel and you can get updates by subscribing to our newsletter at truecrimedaily.com. Owen puts those together. So until next week, this is True Crime Daily Podcast. I'm your host, Anna Garcia. And as we always say, don't do crime.